We do have a ton to get through in this episode. Common sense is finally prevailing. There was controversy this month, Dave. I'm not particularly excited by that. Secrets and things on set. I haven't told them anything. I think this is just good times all round. Every Doctor Who is liked by somebody and that's a really good thing. Davo, my Doctor. I know we disagree on this one. First world problems, Dave. I get why fans are asking those questions. Oh gosh, that's actually quite a lot to talk about. It doesn't compute. It's the elephant in the room. That's okay. Fandom versus the BBC. The cardinal sin. Moving along. Lunch. G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dwayne. And you're listening to the Doctor Who show where, as you just heard, while Dave is gallivanting around the globe, I'm joined tonight by Dwayne from the Sirens of Audio podcast to help helm this episode. Hello, Dwayne. G'day, Rob. Thanks for having me on. What a, what a great topic you've got today for this episode, too. Oh, yes, indeed. Of course, tonight's topic, <laughs> as you may have seen, dear listener, is the classic Big Finish story, The Fires of Vulcan, as voted for by you listeners. But before we get to that, we've got news, we've got short topics, all the stuff you love. Dwayne, are you looking forward to this? I'm very much looking forward to it. I've been very excited about this, although I'm sure we'll talk about the poll result. I was hoping for some other results, but Nonetheless, I'm, I'm still happy. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Folks, one thing we do at the start of any episode is read reviews of the show if they've come through from Apple Podcasts or some other provider. And we have one tonight from Apple Podcasts. This is from BHTAFE4. There must have been three other BHTAFEs before them. Uh, from Australia on the 30th of July. And they say, it's excellent. Five stars. And it runs... I'd actually stopped watching Doctor Who, I'll be honest, when Capaldi left and they cast a woman. Tar and feather me, I don't care. To quote Padme in Revenge of the Sith, you're going down a path that I can't follow. But not wanting to be a miserable Tony Abbott or Kevin Rudd-style ghost, I left the fandom quite happy to move on with my life and leave those still interested to enjoy their show. And that was until about three years later, the timeless child crash landed. I was seeing outrage from everywhere. Was the show ruined forever, I wondered to myself. Could it really be that bad? So I decided to find a primary source, so to speak, in podcast land. And this was the one that came up. Two Aussies, like myself, having a reasonable and balanced conversation about this controversial episode. Hey, I thought to myself, these two are rational actors. Over the next few months, I went back and listened to their entire back catalogue, and these two are excellent. Wonderful chemistry together and engaging conversation about a range of topics, sometimes covering entire eras of the show and sometimes an in-depth analysis of a single EDA novel. You never feel the podcast is a two-man echo chamber as they disagree on plenty and both have tolerance for different opinions. Rob and Dave understand the medium and I haven't missed a show apart from the hot takes since finding it two to three years ago. It's kept me connected to the fandom in some small way and finally replaced the dearly departed Doctor Who podcast. Yes, I know they're recording some episodes again, but where's Trevor? as my Doctor Who podcast of choice. And that's from BHTAFE4. And I know from personal experience, I sometimes listen to podcasts and I forget to review them. So when someone actually does listen to us and stop and take the time to do it like BHTAFE4 has done here, or indeed anyone who we've read out over the last uh, eight years or so of the show, it really does mean a lot to Dave and I. Truly, truly, truly. It's great to have a review that it's so long you could almost make a podcast episode out of the review. It's great. <laughs> yeah, a mini-sode maybe. 
<laughs> Very good. Shall we get on to some news? Sounds good. All right. I got the first piece this uh, month, and that's regarding Big Chief going under, going out of business, becoming insolvent. And I'll say up front, I've made a video about this, about the financial implications in particular of this happening. So do check out our YouTube channel for nearly 10 minutes of me talking about it there. But yeah, Big Chief, the maker of one sixth scale Doctor Who figures, um, as well as a number of other UK centric licenses like Only Fools and Horses, Dad's Army, Peaky Blinders, um, Thunderbirds, James Bond, And all of that, they're bust. They have about £30,000 in the bank and they owe about £1.2 million. It's insane. Now, a lot of people have lost money with them, including myself. I'm out for about £200-something for a sixth Doctor figure I ordered back in 2020. And as of the company going boom, I don't believe any work had even happened on that figure, even though I'd paid for it three years ago. I'll stop there for a moment. Dwayne, are you familiar with Big Chief at all? I'm not a a collector of these kinds of products, but yes, I I do know all these companies and they're not the first one to to run into financial trouble, but this one certainly seems like one of the the biggest ones in terms of amount owing to actual customers. Yeah, yeah. They were taking a lot of pre-orders not just across Doctor Who, but across those other licenses I mentioned. Um, they, they had more than that. They had Space 1999. They had all sorts of other stuff. Flash Gordon. Uh, and some of these figures were made, and some of these collectibles were made, but a lot just weren't. You know, I, I say in the video that if people have paid through PayPal in the last 180 days, they might have a chance to get some money back. They certainly won't be getting it back through Big Chief because the, the money just isn't there. Or if their bank uh, card provider, their, their credit card provider, has um, some sort of leniency, they might be able to do what they call a chargeback. But in a lot of cases, like me, I paid for Colin Baker three years ago. It's just too late. But, you know, my case is small potatoes compared to guys who we've heard from and who I've seen on Facebook and the like, who have pumped thousands of pounds into pre-orders over the year and they're now high and dry. Because I guess the thing is, although Big Chief always felt like a really ramshackle, small sort of outfit, for a decade they did deliver. They did put out figures. You might wait a year or two or three for a figure to come out, but they always came out. So people were happy to sort of squirrel money away with them and think, well, that will come one day. Uh, unfortunately, things just have obviously spiralled out of control. They owe 1.2 million pounds and there's nothing to show for it. And a lot of people have lost a lot of money. Where did it all go? Presumably just salaries and running the business over time, but there's there's nothing practical to show for it. It's very sad. Apart from the damage done to customers and their experience with, with this company, I guess it's going to make potential customers of other companies a bit cautious when it comes to pre-ordering in future for things like this, isn't it? Yeah, well, especially pre-orders of this nature. I mean, this was more like crowdfunding in a way. They'd call it pre-ordering, but it was almost crowdfunding. Like, we're going to collect all this money as a pre-order, then attempt to get the figure made. I mean, they would have a prototype ready. They would have got the head sculpt done and some clothing done, and they they would have a a 12-inch doll to show people this is what it will look like. But it seems that, like, no real work at all got done until they'd got a, a bunch of money together. And then I guess through COVID, although COVID can't be used as the full excuse, but during COVID, it was hard to deal with Chinese factories and stuff. Yeah, they've they've just blown it. And yes, in the future, if if you were looking at, will will I crowdfund this or will I pre-order that? 
you know, does the product actually exist? Is it in a warehouse right now and it's going to get sent to me in a month's time? Or is or does is, has it yet to be made? You know, it, it could really ruin things for people. You're quite right, Dwayne. Mm. Anyway, let's move on. I think you've got our next news piece, Dwayne. Yes, I wanted to talk about the latest animated release mm-hmm. of a missing episode, and that is The Underwater Menace. A little while ago, it was announced that animations had stopped. There was little funding and a lot of people were up in arms about that. But I sort of felt in my waters that one day we would get the animations again. I didn't think we'd get them so soon, to be honest. Mm. But we've got the underwater menace. And I wanted to talk about that because uh, it's a very sentimental favorite of mine Mm -hmm. because of the fact that, oh, how long ago is it now? Almost... 20 years ago, I was contacted by Loose Cannon and they asked me to do the interviews for Joseph First, who plays Professor Zaroff, who was living just out of Sydney right. at the time. So I, I was in Tasmania, so I travelled up and Dallas Jones and I went out went out to his place and we did all the linking material and the interview for the Loose Cannon reconstruction. So that oh, was that, wow. that was very exciting and oh boy, it was one of the it was one of my favourite experiences as a Doctor Who fan ever. You've got no idea how good it was. When he answered the door, he, he had a trouble trouble with one of his eyes, and he answered the door, he had the moustache, but he was wearing an eye patch. He looked like the ultimate Bond villain. It was just <laughs> he was just as over the top looking as <laughs> Professor Zaroff, but a, a nicer guy you could not meet. Yes. So and a lot of the stuff, a lot of the best stuff that we talked about, we weren't recording at the time. It's a shame we didn't have mobile phones and things. You could have just hit record and had it running the whole time, but mm. we only had limited time with uh, with the video camera uh, for for various things. But that was so good. Uh, you know, going out with him for lunch and getting getting stories of him performing in the theatre in Austria where, you know, he had a tap on the door one day. For, someone wanted to congratulate him on his performance. So it was the mid-1930s, Austria. Who do you think it might have been? Oh, no, really? It was, it was Adolf Hitler. So <laughs> two degrees of separation from Hitler I was. Wow. Those kind of stories, were. it was just an unforgettable experience. So I know the underwater menace is not everyone's cup of tea and I can see why it does have its faults for sure I can see why people dislike well actually no I can't see why people dislike the animations because I I really enjoy them I love them I usually watch animations the color ones Mm -hmm. Um, so I just recently watched another animation but I watched it in black and white and I I don't usually do that but um, yeah so the underwater menace is is one that I'm really looking forward to it's interesting that it was sort of uh, there was a rumour going around that this was being done, was it a couple of months ago, along with the smugglers? There was some kind of listing on an American That's streaming right. streaming ser- service or something like that. I can't remember the exact details. But I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And then this was officially announced. So now we're waiting for the official announcement of the smugglers, which only leaves the Highlanders for season four, which means that could possibly coming soon. Uh, which means we'll have a Blu-ray announcement for season four, I suspect, within the next 12, 18 months. That's my theory, but uh, I think that's what they're heading for. Plus, we had a bit of a, I had a bit of a conversation with Toby Haydoke just recently. He was tweeting he was heading down south of England somewhere to do something for a Blu-ray collection, mm-hmm. and I suspect he might have been going to visit Annika Will. So perhaps that could have been for season four, yeah. the collection. Yeah. Mm. 
Well, I mean, we, we, we don't have a pat yet. We need a pat collection, I think, so it makes a yeah, lot of sense. Absolutely. Do we know where the funding for this is coming from, though? I mean, because BBC America were doing the animations for a while in terms of helping with the funding. But here, is it just the BBC, maybe? I have no idea. I'm sure that information will come out in due course, but, yeah, no idea on that one. Yeah. Could it be Could it be Disney? Who knows? Course, could it be Bad Wolf putting something into it? I don't know. Could be, could be. Interesting. And I know what you mean about when you have some sort of extra connection to a story, even one that's not well regarded, maybe you worked on it or you've met someone who worked on it like you did, or just some sort of connection, it can really change how you see that story. Oh, it absolutely did. And interestingly enough, Dallas was contacted by the BBC a couple of years before the DVD release, and that's been out for years and years now. Yeah. And uh, they asked permission to use that interview, and ultimately that DVD release is probably the poorest DVD release the BBC ever did in the in the mm. DVD range. Um, it wasn't included on that. So I'm hoping, I'm very hopeful that it might be included on the forthcoming Blu-ray release, maybe some clips of, of the interview that we did. I don't know. I haven't heard anything. I've... I'm uh, yet to speak to Dallas to see if the BBC's contacted him again, but yeah. I'm sure if they if they had, he would have told me. But um, uh, who knows? Yeah, I was going to say when you started talking about the DVD, then I was thinking, oh my god, I've not seen this. Have I missed this as an extra on the DVD? And no, mm. no, certainly wasn't there. No. Yeah, it was it was their intention to use it, but for whatever reason, they didn't use it. All we wanted was free copies of the. We weren't looking for money or anything. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Shall we move on to our next piece? Absolutely. All right. This is a quick one here. It's really funny how Doctor Who rumours go around and around, and if people don't remember them from the last time, they think they're new all of a sudden. And the case in point right here is that uh, Stephen Moffat is returning to Doctor Who, people say, including a new article in the Radio Times. And I thought, hmm, that sounds familiar. And I checked our YouTube channel for the podcast. And yes, we mentioned that five months ago on our YouTube channel. Uh, it seems every few months someone gets a new reason for saying this is the case. And this time around, it's the production notes section of the latest Doctor Who magazine, mentioning in a couple of places in that article that uh, a writer on Shudi Gatwa's first series has been overseas and the fans have looked around. And who was overseas during these dates? Dun, dun, dun. It was Stephen Moffat. So what seemed in the bag five months ago has come around again. Everyone's forgotten what happened five months ago. And they think they've cracked Watergate this month. So uh, there it is, uh, Dwayne. Stephen Moffat, a massive chance to have been writing for Series 14. Yeah, well, if Russell T. Davies has been bringing back a lot of elements from his day, he's obviously going to put a different spin on them but bringing back certain elements. And one of the most successful elements of his era was uh, him being the showrunner and Stephen Moffat writing the stories. They're still some of the most popular stories. So if it worked back then, why not do it again and uh, try and get more and more people back? Exactly, exactly. And the way Moffat was out there five months ago protesting, maybe protesting too much, you know, oh, it'd be crazy for me to go back, wouldn't it? Oh, he's a tease. He's yes. just a tease. <laughs> <laughs> I think he said all of that just so he can turn around in a month from now and say, well, I told you I was crazy, and I am crazy. I'm back. <laughs> That's it. All righty. What have you got for our final news piece? Um, well, when you suggested I, I say something about the once and future 
series from Big Finish, which is their 60th anniversary series. Mm. I hadn't yet listened to the most recently released one, which is called Two's Company, which is a sixth doctor, Harry Sullivan, Jackie Tyler and Lady Christina D'Souza story. So you've got all those characters in this particular one. So I listened to that. Yeah. And, and this series has been getting a little bit of criticism I've noticed around the place in that the sort of the once and future story is just a bunch of characters being mashed together. It's not really going anywhere yet. And if you look at it on the surface, I can see where that criticism's coming from. Mm-hmm. However, this is this is something that's not been done before. This series is mashing together characters from the new series, the classic series, and Big Finish and bringing them all together in interesting ways. Because the premise of the story is that the Doctor, not exactly sure if it, I think this most recent story sort of narrowed the Doctors down a bit, but the Doctor has been degenerating. So right. every story he ge- degenerates into a different earlier incarnation. Mm-hmm. So that's been happening throughout, and we've got the Sixth Doctor this time. But it allows for the these other characters to come in. And... This one in particular, Two's Company, has a great big Finnish character, which I, I won't mention because it's a huge, huge spoiler as well, uh, but it's also in the title. So if you think about it, big Finnish fans, you'll know, you might know who it is. Yeah. And to get these characters who are no longer with us as well, they've been recast. So we've got recast as well on top of uh, the original actors. So it's just anniversary stories often can't come under a, a lot of criticism for not being what us fans want them to be in our head. We somehow mm-hmm. want anniversary stories to be something mind-bogglingly spectacular. Yeah. But what they but what they really are is they're a celebration of what has been, and uh, just it's they're basically more feel-good than spectacular stories. Mm. And if mm. you look at it from that kind of perspective, I think you would enjoy uh, the the Once and Future series a lot more than some of the critics out there that I've seen. So to hear Lady Christina and Jackie Tyler together, it's just magic, absolute magic. Christopher Naylor as Harry Sullivan does a great job as Harry. And, um, yeah, Colin Baker is always on point as a Sixth Doctor. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Yeah, I wanted to mention something about this series because the 60th anniversary is, of course, coming up. It's it's not on a lot of people's minds still. I mean, we mention it from time to time, but it's like, guys, the 60th anniversary is coming. And things like this once in future series are already happening if you want to dip mm. into them so that's right mm. beautiful well that was the news shall we move on to some short topics i know we've got a few sounds good all righty speaking of things that are happening in this anniversary year i want to ask Dwayne: is anyone engaging with dooms day i know this is a rhetorical question in some ways but through the podcast and just being part of fandom in general I know a lot of people. I interact with a lot of people. And no one, I mean this sincerely, no one is saying, hey, this is really great. In fact, people aren't really talking about it at all, except maybe to say, hey, why is no one talking about it? And that's weird, right? Because in in Doctor Who fandom, there are always outliers who want to defend stuff that everyone hates. They specifically go out of their way to champion lost causes or things that are perceived to be a lost cause. Have you noticed this at all, Dwayne? Because I think there's even a big finish component to Doomsday, isn't there? Yes, there is. That's that's all coming out as a box set in September, so not too far away. Mm. And I've got to say, to answer your question, is anyone engaging? 
I think the long answer is no. <laughs> the long answer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it, it's just, it's, it's probably the most underwhelming thing I've seen since the new series came back. This was supposed to be what was the stopgap between Power of the Doctor and the 60th anniversary specials. Mm. So we were supposed to be excited about it. This was new Doctor Who type content. But rather than that, we've got a character played by someone that most of the world doesn't know. Yep. And then has this, this actress has, has interacted with certain people to the point where people don't want to know who it is. Yeah. Um, and has, has turned people off. In fact, that very first trailer, when I saw that, it made me actually less excited for the anniversary series than oh, more really? excited. Yeah, it made me feel a little bit of trepidation as to what was to come, you know, if this is... And, and at first I thought, this can't be real. Mm. <laughs> I, I didn't think... I thought it was some kind of a joke. But uh, no, it's it's no joke. But yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be very... As, as a Big Finish fan, I'm going to be very interested to see what people have to say about the Big Finish releases. And we, and we did have one of the writers on, on the Signs of Audio recently. Right. Uh, talking about that. Yeah, she, she was very uh, complimentary about it, as, as anyone would be. Even Russell T. Davies is complimentary about Doomsday. But that's the official line. We know that's the official line. Yeah, yeah. But the, it, the amount of, like you say, the amount of engagement in this product, in, in this story, speaks for itself. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Big Finish, I mean, they, they probably got handed a brief like this is, because each part of the story is a different hour in this character's life. You know, like, he, you're going to do our... 10 and she can meet doctor whoever the eighth doctor whatever whatever the story might be and someone at big finish could go away and write a cracking story about doom meeting the eighth doctor and it's the the 10th hour and you know all of this stuff and the story could be quite amazing but if people haven't engaged with the comic that came with dwim and the video game that's out there and (laughs) this bit and that bit and bought all these other bits and been interested in it are they even going to want to engage with the Big Finish story in isolation? Yeah, it's very difficult to say. Mm. Um, I think I think the audience, the demographics of the audience may be a little bit different these days than they used yeah. to be as far as Big Finish goes. So yeah. I'm often surprised at some things I have very little interest in because I'm, I'm much more interested in the classic series stuff personally, but that's of just course. me because I'm, I'm an old school fan. Yeah. Uh, but there is also a lot of interest in the, in the new stuff, so I am going to be interested to to see what people have to say about Doomsday and whether it's them actually uh, being positive about the story or whether it's just them being positive because it's something they want to you know be positive about. Mm. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I, I hear. You. And I've said before today, surely the BBC learned with Time Lord Victorious that people just don't have the appetite, let alone the bank balance, to buy tons of different pieces of media to essentially put together one story. And in the middle of a cost of living crisis, that sort of seems even more pertinent. Yet here we are, buy this, buy that. And I get the sense that not only aren't people buying it, they're just not interested. So, yeah, that's my rant on Doomsday. Yes, I think the good thing about the forthcoming Big Finish release is that it's the penultimate stories there's only the short story by james goss that ends it oh is that right okay yeah so these are the these are the final four full stories before the last uh short story so it's it's going to be all over i'm I'm not sure if 
when that short story will be out or in what form it's going to take. I, Whether it's coming out in Dwim or some other way, I don't know. But um, yeah, the, it's almost over. Yeah, if it's only a short story, maybe it will be in Dwim or something. Yeah, it could be. Hmm. I think the first one was just online somewhere. Yes. Yes, it mm. was. Yeah. Mm. All righty, let's move on. You've got a short topic for us. Yes, I just wanted to take the opportunity to talk about our live events that we uh, are doing at the Sirens of Audio. We had a couple of successful ones with Janet Fielding and Sophie Aldred yes. earlier in the year. And can I just say mm-hmm. uh, for to you and Dave... Thank you so much for all the support that you guys have given us on your podcast. I'm sure ah. that's that's led to a number of people uh, coming along and enjoying those live events. And it's not only you, but there's been heaps of support from the guys at 42 to Doomsday as well. Great. And all the even some Melbourne fans who who travelled up to Sydney for either Janet or Sophie or both. That support that we got from Melbourne sort of prompted me to say to Philip, okay, when we do something next, we have to do something in Melbourne for those guys because they're, they're giving us so much positive energy from these. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, what, that's what's prompted us. So on October the 14th, we've got Katie Manning in Sydney. That could be very interesting because there could be some other guests coming along too, probably most of her family. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, I think she's bringing her granddaughter along, and I didn't. I didn't. I think even Barry Crocker might be coming along. Oh my God! I think I can say that uh, because I think Katie has tweeted that out that Barry might turn up. Right, I didn't yes. even know he was still alive, to be honest. But uh, oh, he's Aussie legend. Did you get to the? Were you at the, the the DWCA event where Barry showed up one day? No, I wasn't. But it sounds good. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was fun. It was very bizarre, but it was a lots and lots of fun. So. Uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. Then the the following week, around the twenty, I think it is the twenty second of October, Katie will be in Melbourne, and that'll be the first time that we've uh, put on an event in Melbourne. So very Fantastic. excited about that. But I, I do have to say, I haven't even said this on our podcast, but um, I won't mm-hmm. be at the Melbourne one. I had something else uh, that was pre planned that was uh, oh, that no. took precedence. And uh, it's Melbourne's the one I want to go to the most, and I won't be able to make it. But the, depending on the success of these, uh, I'm sure we'll be. I, I know Philip is chomping at the bit to do more, and yeah. uh, it, you know it all depends on people getting to these. I know there's a cost of living crisis, but by supporting these, we're able to get those old school type fan events and experiences that uh, you don't get so much anymore. And especially yeah. not at the, the prices you're charging. I think they're very fair compared to people having to shell out for a big, you know, multi-day convention with a bunch of guests that they're not interested in, for example. Yeah, that's true. And and our guests, because there's usually going to be only one, maybe two, you're going to get lots and lots of time with them. And th- it's a small space as well, so you're going to be able to mingle with them. And that's what I- I've found, that the guests love that. They love that fan interaction. They don't like being shuffled off into a corridor and... and and, you know, a barrier put up between them and the fans. They like to yeah. be in amongst it. And yeah. um, so so Philip and I, we're, we're quite proud of how our events have gone so far and we're really looking forward to what's to come. So um, that website, you can just go to sirensofaudio.com or it's katiemanning.sirensofaudio.com mm-hmm. is the website where you can go for information for that. Oh, that's brilliant. And and, and thank you for your, your words at the start there. I mean, we are very happy. I, I can speak on behalf of Dave. We are very happy to be supporting you guys because we've known each other for a long time and, you know, helped out on each other's shows and all of that. But in addition to that, 
I'm always very interested in helping fans know that things are happening. Even if I didn't know you and Philip, I'd be very keen to support this. And I know Dave would be too, to tell fans, look, this, this cool thing is happening over here. You, you, you won't see it on the, on the Today Show on Channel 9. You won't see it advertised in a lot of places. So we're telling you, look, it's, it's happening. In, in much the same way as when I make a video about Big Chief going bust, I've had replies to that from fans saying, oh, look, thank you for explaining this. I didn't really understand the letter I got and so on. I, I think podcasts can do a great service in that area and we're, we're happy to do that, happy to support you. And what wonderful events and what, what good luck to have three great companions out in the one year. Yes, and as I said, hopefully more to come. There, there are bigger plans always brewing. <laughs> brilliant you can't keep a good philip down (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure Dwayne. i've got another short topic here and i just wanted to touch briefly on the trouble that disney's in lately from movie releases that have lost them a serious amount of money over the past year or so to very lackluster offerings on disney plus to losing a lot of Disney Plus subscribers, which we've previously, and I think fairly mentioned that a lot of them were in India, they were leaving Disney Plus because Disney lost the cricket and so on, but now that's starting to happen more broadly in other countries, including North America. And CEO Bob Iger has said he wants to revisit pricing on Disney Plus, password sharing, all sorts of stuff. People are preemptively leaving the service. And I actually said to my wife, hey, After the Ahsoka series is done, I might drop Disney for a while. And she just stared at me and said, but when does Doctor Who start? And I thought, oh, gee, there's probably only a month or two between Ahsoka ending and Doctor Who coming in November, December. And that got me thinking, when the Disney deal was signed with Doctor Who, I wouldn't have said Disney was in its pomp, in its imperial phase. But the company felt a hell of a lot better than it currently does. So I'm wondering what will happen in the future. Will Disney have the money or the desire to maintain this huge global everywhere but the UK deal? You know, if people don't show up to watch Doctor Who in massive numbers, it might not. And boom, there goes a lot of funding for the series, among other things. So while the move to Disney was something absolutely logical at the time, and both Dave and I said as much at the time of the deal, I think the world is changing fast. I think things are shifting, and I think Disney might not be the company that Doctor Who signed up with. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I don't really know. I, I we posed the question at one of our live events uh, as um, and put it to the audience. There's a lot of people quite upset about it leaving the ABC, but that's of just course. Australia. We're only yeah. we're only a small place in in the scheme of things. America is the place to be, but it's true. Like it, I've noticed, Disney is from what I can see, their bottom line is just dropping, 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 yep. uh, and it's just not seeming to stop in a hurry. And they were counting on a few things. Like I, I just saw an ad on a social media feed. I think you know Disney Plus. I think it's only the twenty eighth. Is it twenty eighth of August that uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is going to be streaming on Disney Plus? So it's only just left the cinemas, hasn't it? Only a few weeks ago. <laughs> I think that's when it goes to digital. But I don't think they mean streaming by that. I think they mean to like rent, perhaps. Oh, okay, gotcha. But it can't be too far away from streaming. Yeah. Yeah, that mm. usually happens first, doesn't it? Yeah. But um but yeah, like that that movie in particular, I didn't go and see it uh, myself, but no, I can't I believe that a, a blockbuster film from our childhood like that 
could do so poorly against something like Barbie. Barbie's just gone ballistic. It's just in, it's just incredible. So whatever secret source they've got, I think people should be copying that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I don't know. As as far as Doctor Who goes, yeah, it's a tricky one. I certainly won't be subscribing to Disney unless something like that is on myself. So mm. is that is that viable for a company like Disney for people to be dipping in and dipping out for only specific shows? How, I don't know how that works. Well, it's it's better than nothing, but it's not great either. I would say. Yeah, well, I did get Disney for a while, and there was just I just found there was nothing that was that was keeping my interest. Like I'm not I'm not overly interested in the Marvel movies. No. So I never I never really got into those. And I just didn't find, you know, I'd seen all the Star Wars movies uh, enough times, and a lot of them I've got on physical media anyway. Mm. So I can I can watch those anytime I like. Yeah, it's only the odd thing that I watch on there. I recently watched a six-part documentary series on industrial light and magic, you okay. know, obviously being created to to make Star Wars and then going on to do Jurassic Park and uh, and other things. That was that was really cool. But that might be like one of the few things I've watched on Disney Plus in months, and I've been mm. paying 13, 14 bucks a month for it. Is that what it is now? Yeah. Yeah. It was like yeah. it was like eight ninety nine when I was last subscribed. It's gone up a little bit since then. Just a wee bit. <laughs> <laughs> Final short topic from you, I think, Dwayne. Okay, well, I I just wanted to mention this because we're talking about the sixtieth anniversary and and feelings of excitement, and mm. I'm a little bit confused. Okay, as as not just an old school fan, but the way the show was publicised back in two thousand and five when it first came back to our screens. Mm-hmm. It, what what I seem to be seeing is that we're supposed to be getting hyped and excited about cast members. So we've got this drag queen playing this. We've got this trans person here. Yeah, yeah. is that is that really what's important to the show? Uh, mm. Does it really mm. work? I mean, J and T had lots of you know famous guest casts throughout the series, but it still didn't make that eighties era overly successful. Now, mm. even though even though he did a, an awful lot of it. And if you look at the end of The Woman Who Fell to Earth, there was that big cast list of all these huge names in, in acting at the time that were going to be guest casting through Series 11. That that fell very flat. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't make it successful. So I, I just get the sense now that we, I, I just don't quite understand why we're supposed to be excited about these different people because what... When, I mean, when I was a kid, I don't know how you were as a kid, Rob, but mm. I, did, I didn't know who John Pertwee was. I didn't know who Tom Baker was. I just mm-hmm. knew it was the Doctor, and yeah. I loved the stories. And even when Chris Eccleston came back, I didn't really know much about Chris Eccleston either. But when he held his hand out and said, do you want to come with me? Mm-hmm. And he's you know running down that corridor with the exploding fireball behind him. That's the kind of thing that excited me. And we don't seem to be getting any of that. Uh, in terms of publicity, it's it's only the, oh, look at how diverse we are. And I mm. don't understand that kind of publicity. I think people are a bit tired of that. We just want some good stories. Yeah, look, I think they're playing into a, a broader social media sort of game. This is a very modern, you know, the last five years, I would say in particular, it's become very important to sort of point these things out to people. And the people who are really into that sort of thing get very excited by that sort of thing. And I think that translates into the, into clicks and things trending and, you know, so that's what they're chasing. 
I think RTD does have his finger on the pulse of that kind of thing happening in much the same way he had his finger on the pulse of the Shooty Gatwa casting in general. Like, here is a guy who's very hot in sex education. If we cast this guy, there's instantly however many Instagram followers he has, 2 million, 3 million, whatever it is. There's instantly 2 or 3 million people who've got their eyes on Doctor Who all of a sudden. Yeah. So I think RTD's very clued into this sort of thing, and it is very different to how it was done in the past. And it might not be the best way to publicise Doctor Who, but I think it's just how the modern environment is, and they're just leaning into it and trying to use it to, to get clicks, essentially. I'm just getting old, I think, Rob. I'm just not oh. understanding it anymore. Well, possibly. <laughs> I'm in much the same boat. You know, that's just my take on it. Yeah. But I think we can unequivocally say it is different to how it was done in the past. Yes. I am excited about Bonnie Langford and the announcement that she's coming back, although I'm not sure if, if that was just because it got out on social media and they had to they had to announce it. I don't know. But, um, you know, there, there's certainly questions I'd want answered, like um, wasn't Mel floating off in space somewhere with glitz when she left Doctor Who? Is that going to be... As long as that's resolved, I don't mind these questions I have in my mind. But that's just me speaking as a fan. I think as a general viewer, no one's going to care. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I mean... We've had her in the in the trailer for the season 24 box. I'm trying to remember what she did in that. I can remember some of them, but I'm trying to remember what the Bonnie Langford one was. Can you remember? Oh, wasn't she working for some big corporation or something? I can't remember. You're, you're absolutely right. I can sort of see it, but I can't remember the, the, the detail around it. Yeah, and she runs into Sylve and, oh, you know, maybe, maybe that will tie into where she's been or what she's been doing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I do, it just just for me personally, all these all these casting announcements they mean nothing to me. I don't know who these people are. I don't know if they're going. I don't know if they're good actors. I don't know if the story is going to be good. And for me, that's all that matters. Yeah, especially on this side of the world, we we often comment on this podcast, even in past seasons, when uh, I think there was a Jodie Whittaker season where they did a trailer and it was like, and it's got this person and that person and the other person. And Dave and I were like, who are these people? You know, yeah. it just just meant nothing to us. Yeah, and we're fans of the show. They're just these outsiders. We don't, we didn't know. Anyway, your mention of Bonnie Langford, Dwayne, takes us neatly into the main topic of, of this episode, where we reached out to our audience and we said, "Look, let's let's do a big finish this month. It's time to do our big finish uh, episode of the year. Let's do a Bonnie Langford centric big finish story." And we threw four of them out there: two from me and two from you. Fires of Vulcan for me and Juggernauts. And from you, Dwayne? Uh, catch 1782 and The High Price of Parking. Mm. And you good people out there voted. And 37.5% of you went for The Fires of Vulcan. 32.8% for The Juggernauts. 109 for Catch 1782. And 18.8% for The High Price of Parking. Yes, I... <laughs> I've got to say, I was really, I had my fingers crossed for the high price of parking. But as soon as you said Pfizer Vulcan, I knew that Pfizer Vulcan was going to get it. Probably for the reasons I didn't want to do that one, because it's the most familiar. So most right. people know that one. Most people, if you know, who have started their big finish collections would have got to that one because it's very early in the range. I think mm -hmm. it's number number 12, isn't it? So Yes. It, and it's, but it, but it does have some very, very good quality to it so i am glad to be going back and having a listen to this because i don't often listen to the old stuff so it's interesting to go back and hear the contrast against what they do now excellent well 
if you're one of the listeners out there who hasn't heard the fires of Vulcan, this will be slightly spoilerific, although we may dance around one of the big uh, the big reveals in the story. The fires of Vulcan was released in September 2000. It is 12th in the monthly adventures range, as Dwayne just mentioned, and is written by Steve Cole who was the range editor of the BBC Past Doctor Adventures and Eighth Doctor Adventure novels, where he famously commissioned Lawrence Miles' Alien Bodies, among other stories, so he certainly knows his Doctor Who. Absolutely. And I thought the best way we could do this, Dwayne, is to, to run through it in sort of a semi-spoilery way, um, which will fill in people's memories, perhaps, or if they never want to listen to it, at least let them know what goes on in the story and such. But something I want to say before we even discuss the plot <laughs> is that this story is an historical. It's a pure historical at that. We have some very brief scenes in the modern world, but this is 99% set in Pompeii on the day of the volcano going off. That's not a spoiler. And the threat is from people in the local population uh, and, of course, the volcano itself. What do you think of this, Dwayne, from the, the general point of view that pure historicals haven't been a thing in Doctor Who since the 60s, aside from Black Orchid? And also, we do have a more fantastical version of what happened when Vesuvius blew its top in the Tenant story, The Fires of Pompeii. So there's a few strands there, pure historicals, Tenant stories. Take it wherever you like. Okay, I would like to answer both, but as far as pure historicals go i am a pure historical junkie i love them this is not the first time big finish had done it it's only number 12 in the range but i think number six was the marian conspiracy yes. which was the pure historical with the sixth doctor introducing evelyn it's something that big finish hasn't done too often but when they do do it they do it really well but i thought when this came out, it was going to be much more of a regular thing, but I don't think it was another another dozen or so CDs before they got to another pure historical story. So I love them. And uh, as far as the fires of Pompeii go, I'm going to probably refer to this story as the fires of Pompeii rather than Vulcan a couple of times in error. So please forgive <laughs> me if I do. Sure. There has been a, another story in Big Finish, which I'll uh, briefly mention, that is set at exactly the same time as the haunting of the Villa Diodati. So in Big Finish, the Eighth Doctor actually meets Mary Shelley, mm -hmm. and Mary Shelley gets inspired to write Frankenstein because of the events surrounding the Eighth Doctor. She actually becomes a companion for a, a few stories, Mary yes. Shelley does. So yes. uh, that's, a, that's a fascinating little sidestep in Big Finish history. That is a little bit harder to reconcile those two stories, although in my own head canon I do, whereas The Fires of Vulcan and The Fires in Pompeii can both run concurrently and they don't affect each other in any way. So I've, I've seen reviews and things say that The Fires of Vulcan was an inspiration for The Fires of Pompeii, mm -hmm. but we actually had James Moran on The Sirens of Audio talking about his audio book of the story, and he had never heard this. So he was very pleased that he was able to write The Fires of Pompeii and not affect this story at all, because obviously as a fan, he doesn't really want to do that. Of course. Uh, but it, it certainly doesn't affect the other story. No, good one. So on to the story itself. The Doctor and Mel are in Pompeii. 
The doctor is uneasy about being there, and after meeting some locals and getting a bit of colour in the story, the first episode ends with the TARDIS being inaccessible. It's in a collapsed building because there have been earth tremors going on. And so the Doctor and Mel feel trapped with the volcano about to go up. They know, you know, midday the following day. A good cliffhanger to the first episode, Dwayne? Yeah, I think so. It's still, Big Finish is still young enough. The range is still early enough to have a cliffhanger like this. Because I've listened to hundreds, if not thousands of stories, I have a tendency to forget details. And I've certainly forgotten the details of that. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe because it was still in my memory, I could part way into the second episode i could remember the the resolution i thought oh yeah this is how they're going to get out of it i'm sure uh, and, I, and i was correct mm-hmm. but yeah i think it, it was a good cliffhanger could i just jump back to the start of the story though the the yeah, scenes at the beginning which are more in the modern day or probably the 1980s because we find out that it's around the time of of Davo. Mm -hmm. Uh, where those scenes are set we find that out during the course of the story there is a character there called captain muriel frost played by karen henson now there's there's nothing uh, of great interest in in regards to the actress but the character captain muriel frost i believe was actually a comic strip character from dwim that they inserted in there it's the first time that that big finish have inserted a comic book character Mm -hmm. into one of their stories and it wasn't going to be too much longer before they did it again with frobisher uh, of they, they, they haven't done it too often, but yeah, that, that, that was the first time. Just uh, just as a bit of trivia there for you. Oh, so nice. um, yeah, I enjoyed this first episode. It got me. It got me in. The music was was nice. Alistair Locke. He he works on a lot of the early Big Finish stuff, so uh, he hasn't done much recently. So it it was nice to go back and re- and and sort of revisit that the kind of sound design and music that Alistair Locke does. Yeah. So in the next step, and this ties into what you were just saying, uh, Sylvester, I always say Sylvester instead of the Seventh Doctor, let's just call him Sylv. Sylv confesses to Mel that back when he was Davo, a couple of lives ago, Unit contacted him about digging up the TARDIS in Pompeii. And obviously it was a future Doctor's TARDIS, and now that he's in Pompeii and the TARDIS is trapped, he can suddenly see everything falling into place. Oh my God, my TARDIS is going to get trapped. And in the future, Davo is going to see it with Unit. And it gets you immediately wondering, how are they going to resolve this? And as you just said, Dwayne, you'd forgotten. I'd forgotten. And I don't think we'll reveal on this podcast how they do it. But I was I was delighted again when we get to the end of the story with remembering how they did that. Yeah, it was a very clever way of doing it, and I was thinking, if I was writing this story, how would I do that? And I thought, yes, that's how I would do it. So that's how I came to that conclusion. Yeah. Part three, I know I'm rattling on with this, but we will have a big discussion on the story at the end. Part three is is quite exciting. Sylv wants Mel to get out of Pompeii, and they seem to have a pretty good plan with a, a local prostitute who she's befriended. And she almost smuggles her out of Pompeii, but they're captured by a Roman guard. You know, it's the traditional Mel's in the back of a cart. (laughs) I don't know if she's under straw or under a blanket or something, but they get captured. Meanwhile, Sylv's got himself entangled with a gladiator who's been on his tail since the first episode when he lost a, a dice game with him. He's been challenged to fight. And then Vesuvius actually erupts. So basically everything is going wrong. I think this is the ultimate part three cliffhanger, Dwayne. Just 
everything's gone to hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting actually some of the things that you that you mentioned there. You've got to think about where this story sits in the history of of Doctor Who since 1963. During the mm. during the 90s we had the the wilderness years where the books went down a very dark path in some areas. So they were they were dealing with subjects that the TV series never would have dealt with. And here we've we've got them going some of the way. Uh, particularly with um, the the prostitute that Mel's hanging out with, and mm. the way they deal with they d- deal directly with with that, and that you know they talk freely about Mel, you know, going back and you know looking after her master, the Doctor, in that way. Mm. Um, I think it's 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 done really well, but I don't think the BBC because the, back then, before two thousand and five, the BBC weren't looking like hawks at every big finished script, so they could. They could get away with a lot more than they would be able to get get away with now, and I don't think the prostitution stuff they would they would allow in a Doctor Who script. Might get into a Torchwood script, but not Doctor Who. That's mm. for sure. Mm. Yeah, it starts off pretty pretty tamely, I guess. When Mel, I think, looks at a a graphic on the wall or something of the prostitutes' brothel, and it's like, oh, you you oh oh oh. <laughs> Yeah, the way and she re- the way she reacted to that was that that was all you needed. You didn't have to go in great detail, but it was enough detail. I still don't think they'd get away with that. Yeah, but but then later you do have those lines like, "Oh, do you not do this for your master?" Sort of thing. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we then go into part four, wondering how on earth are they going to resolve any of this from the basic stuff like what's happening immediately in front of them like Sylv and the gladiator and mel getting arrested and locked up to the bigger stuff like how on earth does Sylv's tardis get pulled out of the ash in pompeii in the 1980s and you know i think we should su- save that as, su- as a surprise for anyone who wants to go and listen to this Dwayne. what do what do you think yeah i agree let's keep it let's not spoil it <laughs> yeah but but that fourth episode i will say is very satisfying it ties up everything it's not like, I don't know, just to pull a random story off the top of my head, the power of three where everyone on Earth or half of Earth has died and the Doctor just waves the sonic screwdriver and everyone's okay again. It's not one of those endings. Like, it's a very logical, yes, they get from here to here to here and things are resolved. It It's a really well-crafted story. Steve Cole does such a good job on this script, I think. Yeah, he absolutely does. I've seen some reviews... And I'm a bit of a, a review reader. I'm interested in what other people have to say. And I agree with some that say I, it's probably not the world's greatest story, but I think it does the trick in terms of what it is intended to be. It's intended to be a pure historical. And if you look at the stories that surround it in the Big Finish range, the one before this was the apocalypse element, which was an insane insanely busy story it's still one that sort of i find very difficult to to listen to and what was the one after it oh the shadow of the scourge another science fiction story seventh doctor came straight after that but that was a a benny and ace story that came after so this is one just to sort of sit back and just relax between those two rather busy stories but i think i think i think it flows really nicely and you can't help but compare it to the fires of pompeii when you put those two together they're really quite different animals in some ways oh absolutely what are they called in the tenant story are the pyrovials that's running it, yeah. around inside Mount Vesuvius. <laughs> it's like you know yeah very very different and i've jotted in our show notes here do we like the story why or why not and 
I'll go first here because it's it's playing off what you were talking about. I I really like this, and I think it comes back to that pure historical vibe. You have two time travelers in that most basic of situations. They're back in time. There are people they're not getting along with. They're in danger from them. There's an even bigger danger from the volcano. And then there's that little mystery tagged on the end. That's all you need for good Doctor Who. Now, I'm not saying that's what Doctor Who should be every week, but here comes my broken record speech that, you know, once in a while, Doctor Who on the TV could do a pure historical and the world would not end. Should is, is the word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed. With, with the Tenet story, we even see what happens when Doctor Who tries to do this story. You get some character stuff going on with the locals, great. But then you have the the pyroviles living in the volcano. They want to take over the world. (laughs) And it's just nowhere near as satisfying. And even parking for one minute that I like ancient Rome and the Pompeii story is one that's always engaged me since I was a really young kid and my parents bought me these archaeology books that I used to pour over. I just really like this story for being a pure historical. I love it for that reason as well. There are some unusual elements to it for me, going back to this. I had forgotten how dark and morose and sort of depressed the Seventh Doctor was for a lot of this story. Mm. And it's it's very seems very out of character for me for for the Seventh Doctor. But when you look at it, this is not only Mel's first story on Big Finish, it's Bonnie Langford's first story. So I guess Big Finish were wanting to put Mel to the forefront. So she is the she is the, the the ray of hope in this story. She is the one that keeps that positive attitude all the way through. And she is the one who virtually drags the Doctor into the resolution of the story. Mm. And mm. Um, I, I always thought that, that uh, Bonnie Langford was a bit hesitant to do these. But, um, but I found that this was originally an ace story and Bonnie Langford contacted Gary Russell and said she was interested in doing it. So he quickly asked Steve Cole to change the character of Ace to Mel. Right. And that's that's how that was done. So uh, I think she had some, you know, some stipulations on, you know, she doesn't want to do the screaming. It, it's so refreshing to hear Mel without screaming. I think that's that's a good thing. But this is set, according to the, the liner notes in the, in the CD, it's set between Delta and the Bannermen and Dragonfire. So we have a, it's set during season 24. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of turning that season on its head, isn't it? It's not like season 24 at all. Uh, yeah. But, but still very, very enjoyable. In terms of other cast members, mm-hmm. I, I also was thinking, hmm, I'm, I'm, I, I can kind of hear them reading the script a bit more than I can these days. But what we have to remember, we've already said this is number 12 in the Big Finish range. Big Finish at this stage was using more of a company of actors. So there are voices in there that we've heard many times before. Robert Kerbishley plays a couple of roles. He's, he's, in, he's in plays like The Chimes of Midnight and many others. Anthony Keach playing the professor at the start. He's a voice I'd heard lots before because he plays uh, Van Cell, the Time Lord Van Cell, who features prominently throughout the first 50 Doctor Whos. Who else have we got there? Uh, the, the voice that stood out to me that probably didn't suit the role was possibly Stephen Wickham as Moranis, mm. the, the gladiator. He yes. sounded, he, he was the poshest gladiator I'd ever heard. Uh, so, and, and he, because of that poshness, he was cast after this 
in the Gallifrey series. He plays a Time Lord throughout Gallifrey. Oh, and really? All the all the while I was listening to his voice throughout this, I was thinking of his Time Lord Gallifrey character, and uh, sort of couldn't get that out of my head, which is which is what happens when you go back and revisit things. You have a totally different view. It's very it's fascinating when you when you go back. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, still still a company at that time. Those characters were not overly memorable at all, but Sylvester and Bonnie, totally on point for this. And uh, yeah, can't, I haven't got a bad word to say about them at all. Yeah, well, that's who I want to move on to now. I think the way Steve Cole writes the Seventh Doctor is really good. He's not that super manipulative dark Doctor. But of course, he wasn't that circa season 24. So this feels quite right. This feels like a, a perfect take on what the season 24 Doctor could have been uh, in terms of the writing. And in terms of the performance, I think Sylve would have been about 60 years old when this was recorded. And I've deduced that because he turned 80 just the other day. And so if this was 20 years ago, Sylve would have been 60. And when he was 60, he still sounded amazingly like his TV self. Whereas someone like Davo has always sounded a bit different on Big Finish. Some doctors like Colin and Sylve had a pretty good run at sounding like dead ringers for their TV personas for a long, long time. And I think that really adds to this. It, it doesn't sound like Sylvester McCoy, old man pretending to be in his 40s. It just sounds like the audio of a TV episode that never happened. I don't know how you feel about the the quality of the performance there in terms of the voice. I say that to this day about Sylvester McCoy. His voice has never changed from day one. Throughout the whole history of Big Finish, he still sounds exactly the same. You can't tell that he's aged that much. Whereas the other doctors, even Colin Baker... He was great for a, for a good while, but he's starting to age quite a bit now. Mm. And and Davo was always he always had that older gravelly sound in his voice. But you know you can put those aside. You can suspend your disbelief quite easily yeah. with that. But as far as how he sounded then to how he sounds now, there's not really that much difference between season twenty four to then when this was released and to now when he's still doing new stuff. It's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is amazing. So your general thoughts on Sylvester before we move on to Bonnie? Oh, it's perfect. I'm so glad that Big Finish procured those three Doctors then yeah. and, uh, and and got those, those stories going. The quality was there from the start and it has continued and it's just got better and better over the years. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, on to Bonnie, ostensibly the reason we, we did this story. The first time I heard this, Bonnie was a revelation to me. She's not, she's nothing like the, the screaming, annoying Mel of my youth, and I marveled at that. That was enough. But on this second time hearing the story, this is only the second time I've listened to it ever, Dwayne. Okay. I, yeah, I, I put it together that it's because this is a good story that Mel shines. And it's funny you were talking about Ace earlier because I made a note here, you could change a few lines here and there and give this to Sophie Aldred playing Ace and I think it would work in a similar way. And that's no slight on Bonnie, but simply a comment that Steve Cole has really knocked out a good story. It's not overly complex. It starts at A, it moves through B, it ends at C... (laughs) And whoever the companion is, they're being given these real-life situations to deal with. They aren't playing off a rubber monster. 
it just lets them act and be their character. And Mel and Bonnie Langford's performance is all the better for it. She just comes across as a great companion in this, which may surprise some people who are only used to seeing Bonnie in, you know, like season 24 or something. Yeah, well, you've, you've got to remember where the character of Mel came from. It came from John Nathan Turner's obsession with pantomime. Uh, and mm. and he wanted to bring pantomime into Doctor Who, and she was a great pantomime actress. Yeah, and and so she was for what he wanted, she was absolutely perfect. And I, I did see a note here in the notes that I've got that Steve Cole actually did script a scream uh, for Bonnie because because the uh, character change happened before, uh, when he was scripting uh, episode three, and so he put in the scream, but but Gary Russell vetoed it because it was at Bonnie's suggestion that she'd prefer not to scream. So right. it, was, it was nice to get that. And, and you'll find as you go through the Big Finish catalogue and listen to Bonnie's performances, they are just, they, they keep getting better and better too. She is such a great character. If you can put aside the fact that it was J&T that wanted Bonnie to be pantomime yeah. uh, and look at Bonnie Langford, it's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to seeing her again on screen actually as a result of these. Yeah, absolutely. And and for people out there who haven't dipped into Big Finish too much or maybe at all, it's the same advice for, for Colin Baker as well. Yeah. You know, you've heard us say on, on this podcast before that he is just extraordinary on Big Finish, you know. So it's it's worth it just to hear these characters done right, I think. Yeah, for sure. Final little note i've made here actually i've got a, a secret question up my sleeve as well but Dwayne, first up should people listen to this oh absolutely and i don't think there is any excuse not to because mm. if you if you get on spotify it is there for free don't even have to pay for it it's very exactly. cheap anyway it's only a couple of pounds to buy if you want to buy the download well you can't get the cd anymore unless you jump on ebay but yeah it's there for free on spotify so no excuse not to listen to this <laughs> yeah i i think people should listen absolutely first it's a solid story second sylph sounds like sylph third it gives you a great mel story and fourth the cherry on top is as you say it is on spotify for free so if you've listened to us prattle on here and you're curious there's absolutely no excuse why you can't go and stream this story right now for free but, Dwayne, I do have a question without notice. It's not in the show notes. And we did touch on this earlier. There were other Mel-centric stories in the vote for this episode. Of those four, which ones really float your boat and why? Do they all float your boat? Well, they definitely do. But I think Catch 1782 really showcases Mel as a character. So it's okay. out. It's outside of the first 50. I think it's in, in between uh, 60 and 70, somewhere in the range. So that's not on Spotify. So you do have to pay a couple of pounds if you want to hear it. But the high price of parking is fantastic because there was a period where Ace and the Seventh Doctor went and found Mel and started travelling with Mel again. So she's left the Doctor. Ace and the Doctor have gone back and found her and they're travelling as a duo. So we've got Ace and Mel together. Works really well. The High Price of Parking is written by John Dorney, who is one of the current legends of Big Finish. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't heard a John Dorney script, you're you're always in for a treat. And I love the title. It's it, the High Price of Parking is is like something for a story I would write uh, because it sounds so weird. It's like who would who would want to listen to something called that? But it is is really <laughs> unexpected, and it's very original. Uh, yeah. And John Dorney is just a legend. That's all I'll say. So that one floats my boat the most. I wonder if they'll tie in 
Mel returning to the Doctor and travelling around with him and Ace as part of the background of her being in the Shooty Gatwa stuff. It would be nice if they did, but I don't know. The TV series has a tendency to ignore things that go on in Big Finish, sadly. Yeah. Sadly for me. (laughs) I don't think anyone else cares who's not a Big Finish fan. (laughs) All righty. Let's wrap up the episode. That was our our piece on uh, the fires of Vulcan. But let's wrap up with a couple of listener emails. I think you're going to read our first one, uh, Dwayne. Yes, I've got one from Tasmania, right from where I'm sitting right now. I thought it was appropriate for you to read. Thanks, Rob. It says, hi, Robert Dave. I'm a late comer to your podcast, introduced by my son, Nick, who has emailed you in the past, and am dipping into episodes here and there as the topics catch my interest. I'm really enjoying the List Maker episodes especially. My Doctor Who background... I only came to Doctor Who when Peter Davison became the Doctor, as I loved All Creatures Great and Small, and my new boyfriend was a fan from the start. We have brought up two huge Doctor Who fans in our kids. So Peter Davison is my Doctor. I'm really enjoying your show. That's uh, Gil, or Jill, I suspect, from Tasmania. Yes. Fantastic, Jill. Uh <laughs> As you've heard me say at the start of every, well, not every Doctor Who show, but since we changed our theme music, uh, Davo is my Doctor too. So, good one. Is he? I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) You you haven't picked that up from the show over the last eight years? No. You dropped a few hints here and there, have you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I have. I'm disappointed they haven't been picked up on. Uh, I've got a longer, or much longer email here from Alex Wilcock, who uh, writes to us from time to time. Hello, Alex, and talks to us on Twitter. He says, Hi, guys. I enjoyed your Doctor Who stories that could only come from their era, but Grandpa Simpson is absolutely right. There are too many Doctors, so I don't have an alternative set where I've matched up every story against 13 or more because it's too hard, which means of all your outrageous tasks, this might be the one where I most admired you both for just getting it done. (laughs) Thank you. Best individual calls for me, Rob's reasoning on Hellbent and Dave's on the Seeds of Death. But the points that most got my attention were your choices for the first and fourth Doctors. It's hard to see how you could have got it more right between you, as once you'd both turned up your cards, it leapt out at me that you'd hit on two opposing extremes that, when combined, define those Doctors from one end to the other both times. So those are the two where I'll throw in my own suggestions, and they're two of a kind. For Hartnell, the Daleks. For Tom, the Deadly Assassin. Because both are so influential and others have tried to do them again and again and yet never achieving the same feel. No other Dalek story can ever have the vibe of the Doctor meeting them for the first time and going from as if that matters to that sheer murder as he learns what defines both the Daleks and his own morality. And no other Gallifrey story can ever have the mood of the Doctor going back to his society, showing us just why he left it and immediately will again. And though you're utterly right about Eccleston really yelling in Dalek, of course this couldn't be any other Doctor's story. Going back to your previous edition on Mark Gatiss, my instinctive thought was not that his stories are Marmite, but sort of middling, with two or three that I really love, starting with Nightshade, 
and most of them just okay. Then you immediately proved me wrong by wildly disagreeing on even the ones I thought were his obvious heights. But if I can pretend otherwise and pull back to the idea of him as a writer who did lots of TV stories without mostly being very distinctive, I think of him as New Who's Bob Baker and Dave Martin. Extremely prolific writers doing about nine stories over several Doctors without people ever settling on. Well, that one's clearly an out-and-out classic. So that set me up thinking, can you map Gatus onto Bob and Dave? God, here we go. The Claws of Axos versus the Unquiet Dead. Both start with an unfortunate political message about refugees they probably didn't intend. The Mutants versus the Idiot's Lantern. Bodily transformation seen as shameless and hidden. Underworld versus Robot of Sherwood. Both famous myths. The Hand of Fear versus Cold War. Ancient alien revives, but their planet's dead. The Three Doctors versus Victory of the Daleks. Triumphant Return-ish. <laughs> the Sontaran Experiment versus Night Terrors. The floor slash ground swallows someone up. The Invisible Enemy versus the Crimson Horror. There's a Wrigley thing. The Nightmare of Eden versus the Empress of Mars. The Cruise Liner Empress of Space. The Armageddon Factor versus Sleep No More. I'll have to think about this one, but 8 out of 9's not bad, eh? I said neither's very distinctive, but looking across all their stories, the Bristol Boys tended to write stories set in the future, and Gatus in the past, with indeed nostalgia, but the most notable thing about each of them isn't really their stories at all, and that's what they really have in common. Mention Bob and Dave, and you think of distinctive repeating on-screen character K9, mention Mark Gatiss, and you think of distinctive repeating on-screen character Mark Gatiss. <laughs> Best wishes, Alex Wilcock. My God, you put a lot of effort into that email, Alex, and it made me laugh. Dwayne, do you have any thoughts? Oh, I'm smiling too. That's that's an incredible comparison of Bob and Bob and Dave to to uh, Mark Gatiss. I think he's a, I think he's bang on with those. It's an episode in itself. It is. It is. <laughs> I just like the uh, distinctive repeating on-screen character of Mark Gatiss in Mark Gatiss stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. That's our listener email. Now at the end of each episode, we talk about what we've been watching. I'll go first. Dwayne, I've recently finished Farscape, which I've been talking about for the last couple of uh, shows. Finally got through the uh, the the three-hour telly movie or two-part miniseries, however you want to look at it, that subbed in for a fifth series. It was quite good. I've watched Attack of the Dock, which is a documentary about Attack of the Show, which was a geeky cable network show in the US in the uh, the mid-2000s. Well, I Never is a YouTube channel I've been getting into. Very macabre stories, often Victorian murders and things like this presented by a really intriguing presenter i've been really enjoying that and i recently received the new babylon 5 animated movie the road home so that's going to get viewed very soon if not tonight and i'm looking forward to that very much boy that youtube channel sounds intriguing yeah it's called uh, again well i never because at the end of each episode the narrator sort of stops and looks at the camera and says well see you next time with another story that will make you say 
well, I never. <laughs> and, but but he is always dressed in like sort of early 20th century tweedy outfits. He's often on location wandering around villages where these horrible murders have happened. And there's some real production value to it. I think it's an extraordinary channel. It's been going for a while. There's tons of episodes, very dark content, but very interesting stuff. Cool. Dwayne, what have you been watching? Well, since you're talking about YouTube, I've been watching a YouTube channel for some time called Trip in a Van. And it's about an Aussie family, just an average Aussie family who travels around Australia in their caravan. And the reason I'm interested in that is because I'm about to do that myself again. I've done it a couple of times before. But in November, I'm about to hit the road for eight months. So I am, am very interested in stuff like that. And I'll be I'll be making my own YouTube channel, uh, chronicling that journey. It's going to be very interesting. I've got my Starlink, so uh, I'll see how that goes. I'm going to be out in the outback, so I'll be doing Sirens of Audio podcasts plus plus our own travel vlogs in the outback, so that could be interesting. But apart from that, uh, I've been watching things like Alone. Have you ever seen Alone, Rob? No, never. It's a bit like... If you if you're into Survivor, but it's without all the glitter, it's, it, and it's it's only one person who is like there's ten contestants, they are left on their own in the bush, usually up uh, in Alaska somewhere, mm-hmm. not not quite Alaska, Canada, in the cold parts of Canada, and uh, they're left with all the cameras, so they film all their own footage, and they've got to try and outlast all the others. That's that's how that is. So it really gets you in. It's on SBS if you're in Australia. Oh wow! I've been into a lot of nostalgia as well so mm-hmm. I've, I've been re-watching Twin Peaks at the moment uh, yes. and strangely enough I've been watching Quincy it was a show that my mum used to watch and uh, I, I kind of like it Jack Klugman has got this Jack face Klugman, yeah. he's got this face that's just I don't know it just it's so nostalgic for me it takes me right back to my childhood it's um, a face that wouldn't get cast today I don't think the perfect face for radio that's for sure yeah yeah uh, I've I've just watched the uh, Fury from the Deep animation again. I, I wanted to watch that. I, I, and what prompted me to do that was the announcement of uh, The Underwater Menace. So I thought, oh, I'll, yes. get, a, I'll get in another animation that I, I haven't seen for a little while. And believe it or not, I've just seen, because I, I, I know Guardians of the Galaxy 3 has just been released recently mm-hmm. and everyone was raving about that. So I thought, I haven't seen any of them. So I went and watched Guardians of the Galaxy 1. And I, I quite enjoyed it. It's not a bad film. You know, I've, I I saw it because I th- knew Karen Gillan was in. I thought, oh, I'll watch it to see what Karen Gillan's like. And I thought the whole thing was very good. But I've never gone and watched two or three, despite having that Disney Plus oh, subscription. Okay. I've just never bothered. But I've seen the first one. And yes, it is good. C- can I make a confession? Yes. I, I watched it because of Dave Batista. I like my pro wrestling. There you oh, go. no. <laughs> Well, that's what we've been watching. Uh, some recommendations there, and it sounds like you might even check out Well, I Never, Dwayne. You sound interested in that. I am, very much so. All righty. Look, before we get to uh, what's going to happen next time when Dave's back in the co-host chair, I do want to say thank you so much, Dwayne, for, for hosting with me tonight. And uh, if people haven't heard Sirens of Audio, where can they tune into you? Well, you can tune in wherever you get your podcasts. We have a YouTube channel as well. All our episodes are video as well as audio. Or if you just want to head to the website to get a list of all the episodes that we've done, just head over to sirensofaudio.com. 
Absolutely. And with so many episodes you've made that aren't just you and Phil talking about Big Finish audios, but are actually interviews with actors from Big Finish audios, which often translates to actors who were on TV-based Doctor Who as well, I, uh, I highly recommend the YouTube version. It's great to actually see these people. Oh, and I should I should mention too, the, the same weekend that this episode of the Doctor Who show is dropping, we're also dropping... Uh, our very first interview with Janet Fielding onto the YouTube channels that we did in Sydney uh, when she first, uh, it was our first live event. So you can check that out this weekend too. Oh, that's going to be brilliant, particularly for people who weren't there to actually to, to see it, get a feel for what these events are like, maybe come along to your Katie Manning event, but for people who were there to, to relive the day. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, look, folks, uh, as I said, Dave will be back in the co-host chair next month after getting around uh, Europe, all kinds of countries. I'm sure he'll tell us all about it. And the topic we've selected to talk about next month is violence in Doctor Who. You going to tune in for that one, Dwayne? I certainly am. But until then, I've been Rob. And I've been Dwayne. And we'll see you next time on the Doctor Who Show. Bye for now. See you all later. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show with Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Who Show. We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the dwshow.net. <laughs>